Welcome to How to Stop Climate Change. I'm your host, David Butler, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Russell, and my producer and daughter, Keaton Butler. Our guest today is Caitlin Bullock, Electric Vehicle and Conservation Specialist at Austin Energy. Hey, Matt, how are you doing today? Very well, David. Thanks very much. How are things where you are? Well, as we're recording this, as you know, it's uh, Thursday, November 5th, uh, and (laughs) I'm waiting to find out who won our election here. I've hit refresh on uh, the New York Times election results page about 3,000 times. My head hurts, and (laughs) I'm just waiting for it to be over. Yeah, all it's done is taken you 18 months to get to the point where it can finally be resolved in the next few hours. Yeah, hopefully this evening. So I'll keep my fingers crossed. Well, like we're watching from a distance over here. Like obviously it's getting international coverage. Um, Apart from that, the other thing that's going on here is I'm trying to find myself a new place to live. Um, Myself and Emma are trying to buy a house. So house hunting in the time of COVID brings all its own challenges. Yeah, I bet. We'll soldier on and do our best. Um. We've got a great guest with us in here this evening. Caitlin Bullock is going to join us to talk about Austin Energy and some of the work she's got going on there. Caitlin, how are you doing? I'm doing good, and thank you for having me. Uh, it's, like David said, it's uh, a little nuts in the U.S. right now, but um, hey, that's 2020 for you. I had a coworker the other day who was like, yeah, I can't wait to hear who, who wins. And in my head, I, I was like, uh... I don't think I have a feeling we're not going to know for a few days that I was right. <laughs> so yes. yeah, it's, it's been yeah. crazy. Um, I'm, I'm here in, um, outside of Austin, actually, I live in a town called Dripping Springs. Um, it's, it's sunny. I'm in a, my, um, guest guest room right now, since we're all working remotely. So thanks for having me you guys. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Caitlin. So Caitlin, tell us a little bit about Austin energy, what you're doing there and what Austin energy do themselves. Yeah, so I um, I work on the electric vehicles and emerging technologies team at Austin Energy. So that's in Austin, Texas. Um, it's under the Customer Energy Solutions Department. Um, a little bit of background about Austin Energy. Um, it is a publicly owned utility. We provide electricity to the city of Austin and surrounding areas. And we serve over 1 million residents. We're actually the seventh largest um, public utility in the United States. So we have been community owned since about 1895. We actually just celebrated our uh, 120th year anniversary not too long, uh, not too long ago. It's COVID time, so the months are flowing all together. So I really don't know. Um, yeah. uh, and we are a department of the city of Austin. Um, and one amazing thing about Austin Energy is that since we are a city department, we return all of the profit that we make into the city's um, general fund. So that finances other city services like streetlights, parks, library, public safety. And these local investments really help drive the economic growth and contributes to Austin's quality of life in general. Austin Energy has a pretty interesting story, actually. In 1890, Austinites were getting tired of high prices and poor service from the private water and electric company, so they sold bonds to raise money to build a hydroelectric dam, 
One of the first things that they wanted to do was light up the city. So they bought 31 used moonlight towers from Detroit, which happens to be where I live. Anyway, moonlight towers were pretty common in large cities at the time. They were 165 feet tall and had four carbon arc lamps that lit up a huge area. The lamps actually had an electric arc, like a small contained lightning bolt. By 1895, the dam was up and running, and they had a dedication ceremony and finally got to turn on the moonlight towers. Everything was great right up until 1900, when the dam broke. The city fell deep into debt without their hydroelectric dam. The old private utility company offered to buy the city's water and power systems, but Austin's leaders still believed in their vision of owning their own utilities. They bought some steam generators to keep things running in the short term, and then forged ahead. Then, in 1927, Texas Power and Light came in and made a new offer to buy the city's utilities. But Walter E. Seaholm, superintendent of the city's electric department, stepped up and challenged Texas Power and Light to a test, which honestly sounds like some version of the old John Henry folktale. Anyway, it was basically a utility management face-off. Austin's electric department won, and they're still supplying Austin with power and water and putting money back into the city. Fun fact is Austin still has 14 of their original moonlight towers. So um, you mentioned some of the advantages of of having a city-owned utility. Can you go into a little more detail on that? Yeah, so um, Austin Energy's mission is to be customer-driven and community-focused. And I think that being a city-owned utility instead of being investor-owned really helps with that. So I think, in my opinion, the biggest benefit of public power is that we put our value um, to and for the community and not to shareholders who will then pocket that. Um, So since we are a city department, we're governed by Austin City Council. And the city council is voted in by our citizens. So our community really does have an input on decision making and what goes on at the utility. Um, and, And since money isn't of course, money is important, right? Any company wants to make a profit and revenue. But since that's not our sole focus, we're able to focus instead on customers saving money on their energy bill um, by using energy conservation tips or applying for programs like um, home performance or the low-income weatherization program um, to help customers pay their bills. And This really pans out in times of crisis like COVID-19 when we can help our customers a little bit more with their bills. Caitlin, for me, looking in from a distance, um, I kind of see Texas as big oil, big finance and quite conservative. Is that a fair reflection or how does Austin or Texas generally rate when people think in terms of um, sustainable power, electricity, the environment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny when I talk to people from other states or other countries of like you, and they think Texas is like, I guess their depiction of Texas is kind of similar to West Texas, where there's like tumbleweeds blowing. And uh, one person one time asked me if I rode a horse to school when I was in high school. Um, and e- so I am the wrong person to ask because I love all of those things. Like, um, I, I love horses. I love two-stepping. I love country music. Um, lots of people in Austin know it's not, not like that at all. Um, Austin is a very big melting pot of diversity. Um, it's very progressive in its views. The city has um, really 
progressive goals when it comes to climate change. And so it's, uh, it's pretty different from small town Texas. And what sort of percentage of the power do you have available that is green energy or is it a mix or how do you work it into the grid or is it even differentiated? It is. Um, right now we have over 40% renewables um, into our mix and the goal is to be 65% um, renewable energy by 2025 and we're already almost to that mark. So Austin energy is pretty green and um, we do have steep goals for the future to make it greener. You know, you mentioned that you, you have a big energy efficiency program to help all of your customers save money. And I think in a lot of places, you know, utilities have those programs, but it's mostly because the state is requiring them to do so. And it's not really to their advantage, you know, because every <laughs> kilowatt that they don't sell is just money that they're not making. So in your case, like since the customer's kind of own the utility in a way mm -hmm. it, it really is to everybody's advantage uh, for you to help them use less power isn't it right and before i actually joined the electric vehicle teams i was in um it's it's a different department it's called energy efficiency services all focused entire department on energy conservation and um an example is if your windows open and the ac is running I mean, you would essentially, you would get more money at the utility because you're going to pay a higher bill. Um, but Austin Energy, we're not for that. We, we want customers to save on their bill in every single type of way. And we're going to help you do that. Caitlin, you mentioned EVs there just a moment ago, and that's your area of expertise at the moment. And it's what you're focusing on. What is Austin Energy doing with regards to promoting EVs, electric vehicles, and what do they get out of it? So like I talked about earlier, um, Austin Energy is governed by the Austin City Council and the Austin City Council is very aggressive in its climate goals. Um, in 2014, City Council actually passed our community climate plan to have net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. And so we're already ahead of that target. Um, and we actually just put out a 2020 draft of this plan which is now focused on equity with a new goal of being net zero by 2040. Now this draft has not been passed yet, but hopefully it will be approved. Um, what I think is so cool about this whole process is that the city opened up this draft for the public for their review and comments before we sent it in. And so the community really does have a decision making um, with our climate goals. And since the transportation sector is one of the largest contributors of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, that's why the city is really focused on electrifying our transportation um, because obviously electric vehicles do not emit CO2 from the tailpipes. Um, with about a million people in Austin, that is a ton of cars, <laughs> lots of emissions, um, lots of, you know, it could result in poor air quality. Um, and at the end of the day, EVs, in my opinion, are our future. And since Austin Energy in general is very progressive, along with the city of Austin, they are very future focused. And we want to be leaders in innovation. And that's, I think, why they're so supportive of our EV programs. Um, and Austin keeps exploding 
rapidly. And in the future, um, EVs could even be used as a resource in the electric grid with a concept called um, V2G, which is vehicle to grid, um, where cars can use the same technology that's used in solar panels um, to bring energy back to the grid in time of blackouts. And there's a ton of other technologies that are related and tied to EVs that can be useful for the future. So to answer your question, you're, we are future-proofing and being innovative. Caitlin, just to take a step back there, I was really interested in what you said about being carbon neutral by 2040. Is that the whole grid for Austin you're looking at, or is it the, the transport section or the EV module in general? So that's the bigger climate goal with the whole of city of Austin. So that encompasses Austin energy. And what's really unique is that we have these higher city of Austin climate goals, but we also have Austin energy goals as well. Um, and so to answer your question, that's our goal as a city of Austin to be net zero greenhouse gas by 2050. So one of the tricky things about EVs, like we have all this infrastructure for internal combustion engine cars, there are gas stations on like every corner. So I'm sure we have a little work to do before we have enough charging stations to switch over to EVs. So how are you guys working on that front? I think that's a great question. Um, I kind of go back to, what is that movie uh, where there's Field of Dreams? It's, it's a movie based in Iowa. Oh, yeah. yeah, and they always say, if you build it, they will come. And um, so that's kind of the business model that we used in the inception of, of our program. And that was in 2011. Um, and essentially what we did there was Austin Energy received a grant to install a number of charging stations um, that Austin Energy owns. So those are going to be level two stations. And since that grant money was since allocated, um, all of the stations on our network are going to be host-owned stations. So host, station host, is essentially a business, company, um, property manager who wants to install a station at their community. Another point I want to make, too, is that probably the best thing about electric vehicles is that you don't absolutely have to have that public infrastructure because over 80% of people charge at home. So Austin Energy is going above the mile to provide that infrastructure, but the same outlet that you use to charge your phone, you can use to charge your vehicle. So most people charge at home. You can get a level two charging station installed at your house for a higher charge rate. And then really the public stations is when you're out and about. Um, a good thing to know for people who are considering an EV is when you go to charge, you really just top off. Very rarely are you going to go from zero to 100%. So when you're out and about, that's what the public infrastructure will serve. It's at a grocery store, you know, work. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, people do charge at home primarily. Uh, Caitlin, you mentioned there about, I think it was level two charging stations and being innocent of such things, does that mean there's like a level one and a level three? What, what are the different types of charging station a per person is typically using? Yeah, thank you for asking. I think when you're in the EV realm, you, you kind of get in your own world and forget to explain it first. Um, so I like to explain a level one as like your regular outlet um, that you use to charge your phone or blow dry your hair. And so that's going to be 120 volt. It's going to be different overseas. <laughs> so this might not all make sense to you. Um, 
our level two is 240 volts. So it's the same exact thing as our clothes dryer outlet. And then level three is even, uh, it's, it's a DC station instead of AC. And it is 480 volts. So that is a lot of power going to cars. How, how quickly will that fast charge one that you've just mentioned, is that minutes or hours we're talking about? Oh, for the, for the DC station, we call that just our fast charging station to make it simple for, for customers to understand. It would, would take less than 30 minutes for a complete like zero to 100. I know I said you don't usually do that, but that's, that's how quick it is. And I will say it does depend on the car. So it'll depend on the make, um, model, your battery size. And another thing to know is plug-in hybrids that also use gas are not equipped to use the DC station because their battery is so small. So it's, it's only um, pure battery electric vehicle that can use that DC station. So how do the costs work out? Like, what's your cost uh, for electricity if you're driving an EV compared to what you would spend on gasoline for the same amount of driving? So we do have a EV360 um, time of use program. It, well, it's a pilot program. And right now it is fully subscribed at 100 customers since it is a pilot. Um, and that program was our only time of use that the city had. Um, and that required the installation of a submeter circuit. And so you could see exactly how much your EV station was using. And that was a flat fee of $30 per month. Now, I will say that that EV360 program, after we evaluated it, we saw that it mainly served people who drove a long ways, right? So the high mileage drivers. And so I'd say it probably is less than $30 um, if, you, if you're charging at home. Um, on our public network, we have a really cool subscription program. It's called the Plug and Ever program, and you can use our level two stations for only $4.17 per month. Um, and so the way that works in the billing world is you are charged $25 every six months on your utility bill um, through Austin Energy. And to use the DC stations, um, it's actually 21 cents per minute. And that rate was changed um, a few days ago on November 1st. We only had one DC station in Austin, and it kind of was our pilots. They're very expensive to install. And so we, we used that station that was there as a pilot to kind of test behavior. And what we saw from that were, was people were staying there for quite a long time. And the way that the DC stations are designed, it really is like you should go there kind of like a gas station. Like you're not going to sit there for, you know, over 30 minutes to an hour. You're going to get your gas and you're going to leave. So that's how the DC station is designed. And so we made the 21 cents per minute rate instead of per kilowatt in order to change that behavior. I just have a, a follow-up on that. So if I've understood you correctly, if I'm signed up to Austin Energy and I'm driving an EV, I'm effectively paying for unlimited mileage, $5 a month. And if I get caught short, I can pull in at one of these DC charging stations for 10 minutes, and that's going to cost me $2.50 or so, and I'm on the road again. Have I captured that correct? That is exactly correct. It's $25 every six months, about $5 a month for the unlimited level two network. And if you really need um, a charge, if you're in traffic, 
you know, then of course you can use your, your DC station. And of course you can use your level one or level two at home. Um, and if you do not have a home where you can do that and you, or you live at a multifamily unit, our, a lot of our drivers use that network because it is unlimited charging. We'll be right back after this short break. If you love how to stop climate change, please help us grow the show and reach more people that want to stop climate change. Share it with one friend who would love it too, or give us a review on your favorite podcast app. And if you really love the podcast, please consider a small donation. To learn how to support the show, go to howtostopclimatechange.com slash support or patreon.com slash howtostopclimatechange. So let's talk about emissions for a minute. You know, especially when EVs were first coming out, people would say, well, that's, you know, yeah, sure, that's zero emissions, but really you're just running your car on coal because, you know, a lot of electricity is produced by burning coal. And, you know, there are more and more renewables on the grid all the time. Maybe not here in Kentucky where I live, but Mm -hmm. you mentioned that that you guys have quite a lot of renewables there. But let's say you were on a completely fossil fuel grid. What kind of emissions would you have in comparison to burning gas in a car? First, I'll just say that driving the EV has obvious climate benefits because it's uh, zero tailpipe emissions. But that is a good point to make because if EVs can be charged by power grids that burn fossil fuels, they aren't necessarily considered zero carbon always. But since I work at Austin Energy, it's it's really hard for me to say for other utilities if that's the case because I don't work there. Um, but I know in good faith that Austin Energy's grid, like I said earlier, is considered very, uh, very clean because it has over 40% of a renewable mix with solar and Texas wind energy. And one of the things I didn't bring up earlier that I wanted to talk about was one of the most amazing features on the Plug and Ever network of charging stations in Austin is that they're all on Austin Energy's Green Choice program, which uses 100% Texas wind. So when EV drivers in Austin use the stations on our network, they know that they're being 100% clean no matter what their setup is at home. Residential customers, Austin Energy, who charge at home can also sign up for Green Choice. So what it is, it's just a slightly um, difference in the bill every month for Green Choice. And another way they can be, you know, overachievers is if they install solar panels on their home and charge at home. But um, it is really cool to know that when drivers are charging publicly in Austin, they are using Texas wind. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I think um, one of the biggest takeaways here is that even if there are fossil fuels on the grid right now, I don't know what's happening at other utilities near you, but everyone's prepping for the future. And the grid can only get cleaner and cleaner and cleaner as renewables get cheaper. And to be frank with you, gas, gas doesn't have the ability to get cleaner. Um, we can adopt practices with the, with the EVs to make it more efficient, but you can't make gas cleaner. And so for me, that's why EVs are a win-win. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to argue that EVs are not <laughs> a great solution, but that, right. you know, that is an argument that you used to hear um, 
from climate deniers. And there, yeah. actually, there was even a segment on it uh, in that Michael Moore film that came out in the spring, Planet of the Humans. That seems mm-hmm. like it was five years ago now because we've had such a weird year, actually. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I think one of the best thing that our team does is we take in all of the negatives. Like any any time you hear a barrier to adopting AVs or a barrier to achieving sustainable behavior, we don't really shy from it. So we're I I love when people talk about those things with me because I can listen to hear their perspective and point of view, and then I can educate. You can't do that without hearing the other side of it. Um, so I always take in any kind of thought or critiques or criticisms with open arms because that truly is one of my passion is working with every type of person and them knowing that conservation or being environmentally friendly really isn't just for one type of person. It's for everyone. And I, I will say if there's anyone who is contemplating it, what I would tell them to do is get on um, to it's a website, again, from Union of Concerned Scientists. They have this amazing online calculator titled, How Clean Is Your Electric Vehicle? It's at evtool.ucsusa.org. You can type in your zip code, and they identify the region you're in um, to see the average emissions from the electric utilities around you. And then you can list your make, model, year, of the EV you're looking at, and it can compare your car's CO2e, which is which just means carbon dioxide equivalent, aka global warming pollution, and you can compare that to a standard, um, we call them ICE vehicles, internal combustion engine, which is just gas vehicles. Um, you can compare it to other plug-in hybrids, and then you can compare it to other EVs, so you can really get down to what is the cleanest option car by car. Oh, that's fantastic. So you don't have to just guess and worry about it. Mm-hmm. That's great, Caitlin. Thank you. Because you've hit on a number of issues there that would be a barrier for someone like me entering the EV market, which is, is the fuel I'm using sustainable? You can actually provide a 100% green network. Um, what's the footprint of the car itself from a carbon perspective, there's a great tool. I can go in and check that out. The other thing I would worry about going in is the cost of an EV off the bat, like the straight off lot cost, and then it's resale value down the line. Because I get worried that a next generation of battery is going to come out and make whatever one I'm driving obsolete. Is that justified or are you seeing trends in that regard? Well, for me, I would I would love it if if an EV owner <laughs> wanted to get rid of their EV because then there's a market for used electric vehicles. Uh, but to answer your question, it's it's good to note that every single car is going to be different, right? So, if even if you were to compare a Tesla Model X with a Kia Niro or Nissan Nissan Leaf there's going to be a huge gap between them. And that's the same for any type of car and uh, a gas car included. So if you were to ask me the same question probably two years ago when I first started the EV team um, about the cost of EVs up front, I'm, I'm a very honest person. I would have told you, yeah, I mean, up front, they are definitely going to be a little bit more expensive. Um, but you'll see the cost savings in gas and maintenance in the future. But honestly, 
within the past few months even, there's been a ton of EVs that came out in 2020. Um, I've seen the cost of EVs compared to gas vehicles priced very similarly. Um, and I touched on this earlier, but the main reason for this is because the cost um, is declining due to battery prices um, falling and the technology getting better and better. Um, so I, I think in about 10 years or so, it's going to be a, a game changer. Maybe even in, in 2025, in five years, there's going to be a huge number of EVs on the market. Um, and one of the things that I love about this team, I touched on this earlier, but if, if there's a barrier we see about EV adoption, we're going to see that problem and we're going to try to change it the best that we can in our area. Um, so one of those barriers that we've heard from customers was that it was pr a pretty awful um, customer experience at dealerships. And again, to your point that people think they're expensive. Um, so what we did with Austin Energy and our team is we created a whole initiative on EV purchasing and we came out with um, this thing called our EV Buyer's Guide. So it is on ev.austinenergy.com. And with this tool, similar to the other one I told you about, um, you're able to browse local EVs in the area. So in Austin, you can compare them to other EVs and you can compare them to gas vehicles. And then um, on that, you're going to see the incentives listed and the money you're go going to be saving in the long run with, without maintenance. Um, and so I, even if our listeners are living in other places or have different utilities, I would highly suggest you going to our website to check it out just because it's good information in general comparing the cost. Awesome. So Caitlin, do you have an EV? So unfortunately I do not have an EV right now. It's in the future. Um, we always tell our customers that we're not trying to get them to go out right now and buy an EV and waste your money if you know if you have if you already have a working vehicle. Um, what we're concerned with is getting you prepped for the future and and having that light bulb moment of yeah I could that's really cool I could purchase one. I do wish that I had one though. Besides conservation and the environment, um, besides its ease of use and um, no maintenance because it has less moving parts, I think the coolest thing about EVs is that they're fun to drive. And I have a story. I, I, got, um, I got a Subaru Forester because I used to live in Colorado. And um, that's like the car to drive there. Um, and <laughs> about a year or so afterwards, um, I was able to test drive a Tesla. And if either of you have never done that before, I would highly suggest it. It's it's just af afterwards, after that drive, when I got into my car, I have a, what's called a CVT transmission, which isn't great in my opinion. The instant torque on EVs is, is absolutely amazing. And it's, it's really upsetting in my Forester that it can't, I, if I want to get around <laughs> someone really quickly, I can't do it. So if anyone hasn't test driven a EV that's listening, please do because your mind will probably be changed. 
So, Caitlin, you've been with Austin Energy now for a couple of years, and as well as the EVs, you've obviously got an interest in conservation in general. What got you interested in the environment and got you focused in this direction in the first place? Well, for starters, I've always loved being outside and in nature. It really is my happy place. Um, I'd say my biggest passion in life over everything else is education. Um, it may sound cheesy, but my high school AP environmental science teacher absolutely changed my life. Um, my passion before conservation was soccer. I played all of my life um, when starting when I was less than four. So when I injured myself and I couldn't be recruited for college soccer, I, I basically needed something to do and stay out of trouble because I was like goody two-shoes. Um, and I joined the uh, environmental science club, which is essentially a recycling club because that's all, all we did. Um, so because I love my teacher so much, I decided to pursue environmental science um, in college at Oklahoma State University. And when, when looking for jobs, they were mostly tailored to working in labs or boring things or regulatory work. Um, it's, it's actually ironic because my first job interview was um, at a natural gas company, and I'm sitting here with, a, with an electric is greater than gas shirt, but I have, I have nothing against that company. Um, but, but after I graduated, I kind of decided that my passion was people. Um, and one of my favorite classes in college was both psychology and sociology. And I noticed that I was really, really interested in the way that people think. And I noticed that well, I, I thought I was good at talking to people <laughs> and relating to people. Um, so I didn't want to be a typical scientist. Um, and I debated between obtaining an MBA, um, but I eventually decided to pursue a master's degree in um, the Human Dimensions of Natural Resources Department. It's, it's a mouthful at Colorado State University instead. So I, I absolutely loved my master's program, it was super interdisciplinary and um, it basically taught me the social science look at conservation and the way that humans interact with the environment around them. Um, at that point, I was super wildlife focused um, because I took a bunch of wildlife courses in college at OSU. And we had the amazing chance of going abroad to work on our master's thesis. And I actually spent about five months living in Kenya, Africa. Um, and when looking back at COVID times, I was like, wow, that's like, how lucky was I that I got to do that? Because I, I mean, I'm set on, I was supposed to go and elope abroad in New Zealand, actually, in this, this next April. And can't do it anymore. So that's such a great experience. Um, and my thesis was actually on, I was just going to ask you a question. What, when you think of Africa, what's, what is the, anim, the iconic animal you think of? Lions. Lions. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> uh, my thesis is actually centered on African lion, lion conservation and uh, which is absolutely hilarious that now that I'm working with cars, <laughs> um, it's, it's quite funny. But after being in this space for a bit and looking back, I can now see, aha, it's, it is related. 
Um, and I'll get to that. Uh, so my, my program's official title was Conservation Leadership Through Learning. And my study with lions wasn't on the species itself. It was rather um, a deep dive into a nonprofit organization in the area that successfully decreased the retaliatory killing of lions. Um, so we essentially looked at the strategies that this nonprofit had in changing behavior. So from there, my passion turned to behavior change. And, um, and I also took a, a look at the barriers to achieving sustainable behavior. And so that's, that's basically how I landed at AE. Um, before the EV position, I was on um, the Low Income Weatherization Assistance Program as a temp, pro, uh, temp employee. And because of my experience with their rebate platform, um, I landed a job on the EV team. I'm going to just ask you there, and this is taking a little step back. When you were working on the conservation in Africa, was that the local tribal community and their interactions with the lions? Was it poachers? Was it a wider community or all of the above? Yeah, so it was actually a tribal community that used to, um, it would be seen as a heroic effort to kill a lion. And it's, it's just what was embedded into that culture. And essentially what um, the director of this nonprofit did was she employed people from that community into her organization. So she wasn't someone at the top down telling them, you can't do this. She lived in the community. She got to know them. She had a relationship with these people. And then she started employing them. And really one of the things that we looked at was um, the leadership characteristics that this organization had. And one was um, the founder being a champion for conservation and also employing leaders in that community to also be champions. And so one of the champions in that community used to be a lion killer and he led this initiative to, to change the behavior. It was oh, just such a cool, such a cool experience. The, the one kind of biggest takeaway that I learned from my program is just how important it is for change to happen from the ground up. So all from the bottom up. Um, a lot of top-down approaches, in my opinion, really haven't worked. Um, and so you need leaders in your community who can take a stand um, for change. And so it really just starts with individual leadership and of course, I keep going back to education, but education. Um, and kind of one of my biggest things that what I want to do is work with all types of people for conservation. I don't think that you have to be a person. We talked about the typical Austinite. You don't have to be a typical Austinite, in my opinion, to conserve. You just don't. Um, so it, it's just about kind of changing the language of conservation in a little, a little bit. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Catherine Hayhoe. Yeah. She's a very, um, very big climate scientist and she actually lives in Texas, um, in the Lubbock area. And I just, I'm obsessed with her work and she talks, uh, uh, talks a lot about that, about changing the language and, and really meeting people where they're at. Yeah. She's fantastic. She has a huge following and, um, 
And I, I think, you know, it's good that she talks to faith-based communities a lot about climate change. Yeah. Well, I, ironically, that's, that is why I love her because I'm a person of faith too. And I, I mean, I could have talked about this in the beginning of my story there, but that really is kind of the reason why I joined because I, in my opinion, think it is on us as believers to conserve. I mean, to me, it's in the Bible. It's, 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 it is really crazy to me to see people of faith not get on to this conservation mindset and for it to be so completely divided because, you know, I have, I don't work with a lot of coworkers who are like me. So that's kind of one of my goals. And Catherine, she's like one of my idols. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense that it should not be an issue, you know, that's closely held, you know, for faith-based groups. I, it just seems like the right ethical thing to do to kind of take care of the planet and, and, um, people that live on it, you know, if if we're polluting in the developed world, then we're going to cause a lot of other people to suffer, you know, within this country, but, but also all over the world. Hopefully, hopefully one day we won't be so polarized, especially with this issue. That's one of my biggest, biggest goals in life. So thank you for talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to just throw out, like, if you could make one change, whether it be inspirational or recommendation or anything else you want to do to the world, big, small or indifferent, what would it be? With, with election season, I'm just going to say, talk to people who are different than you. It's as simple as that. And meet people where they are and empower leaders um, and, and work together. That is my biggest, biggest goal in life. Well, we certainly need that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a bit naive, right? But to me, it's like, I'm just, I'm just living this way. And sometimes I feel like I'm the only person, but I think we can do it. You know, I'm very positive that we can, it's going to be hard, but I, I think innovation is going to move forward. And no matter where you live, I think innovation is going to happen. And I'm, I'm pretty positive about the future. Thanks for joining us, Caitlin. It's been great talking to you. Thank you, Caitlin. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of How to Stop Climate Change, please give us a review or share the show with a friend. If you'd like to support the show, please head over to howtostopclimatechange.com slash support. If you're interested in the topics that Caitlin talked about in this episode and would like more information, I have a couple links to share with you. First, the link for their overall EV website is pluginaustin.com. The link for the EV buyer's guide is ev.austinenergy.com. The link for the Union of Concerned Scientists with the How Clean Is Your Electric Vehicle tool is evtool.ucsusa.org. And if you're interested in finding out more about Austin Energy's 2015 Community Climate Plan, the link is pretty long, but we'll include it in our show notes. You can find that at howtostopclimatechange.com. Our theme music is by Juices.